welcome. Um, welcome to our listeners online. I have to know. <laughs> it's honestly just me. I know that at the moment I'm the only one that listens to it, so that's okay. Uh, we're in a, a series, a sermon series called Prayer Revelation. And this series started last week. And uh, this is week two. And, and the basis of the series as we learn about prayer is this idea that when we pray, meaning when we communicate with God, not only are we, communicate, uh, not only are we communicating with God, but as we communicate with God, God actually reveals himself to us. Even though we're the ones that are speaking to God, God actually through that even, he speaks to us. And more of who he is, is revealed to us. Prayer is not just talking to God, but, but through this form of communication, God reveals his character to us. Last week, we started with this idea that before we even communicate to God, we need to ask ourselves the question, is God real? This idea of faith, belief. Prayer started with faith, a belief of who God is and is he even real? Because without faith, without this belief that God is real, well, what are we doing? What are we doing? Uh, we've had some great feedback and some questions in our life groups. And an interesting question that came up in one of the life groups was this. Does God respond to the prayers of non-Christians? And I thought it was a great question because I want to actually address that quickly. Does God respond to the prayers of non-Christians? And I actually think that before you can answer the question, I'm just going to tell you the question is wrong. The question is an oxymoron. It's a paradox that cannot make sense. Because I'm just going to try to answer it really simply, right? If prayer is speaking to God, but as a non-Christian, you don't believe in God, who are you praying to? Right? If you, in your mind, are like, I'm married, right? And I'm talking to my wife, but I don't, I don't actually believe that my wife exists. Who am I talking to? Right? So, so to put it simply, can God hear the words of prayers from non-Christians? Of course he can. Can't say God can't do it. Right? Can he respond to, to, that, to, to that? Yeah, of course he can. But to call that prayer is not right. Because prayer is intentional communication with God, and you can't be praying if you don't believe in God. What they're doing is not prayer. They're just, I don't, I don't know, I couldn't even think of a word. I couldn't think of a word to put. It's like talking to something that they don't believe exists. And I want to use this as our starting point for tonight. And it's this idea that when we pray, with the foundation of faith that we know that God exists. And so when we communicate with God, that's what we're doing. We're praying to communicate with God. The, the starting point that I want that, that uh, to go tonight is this. Do we know our place when we pray? Do we know our place when we pray? In any situation, and, and, and unless you're socially challenged, knowing your place in the situation or in the circumstance or in the relationship is something that all of us do. 
You know, when I'm talking to my wife, you know, I call her honey or beautiful or my best friend. I do. I do. Don't, 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 don't bag me out. I do. I'm trying to become her best friend. That's, that's the goal, right? I'm not going to use that same language with my church board members. Not all the time. What do you mean, why? Because you're not beautiful. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not going to use that kind of language with my dad. I'm not going to use that language with someone else's wife, right? That's, you know, it's not right. And in the same way, like, if a newcomer comes to the church, I'm, I'm not going to start, like, acting like I, I've been their best friend for, like, 20 years, right? I, I'm not going to treat them like a long-lost brother, nor am I going to talk to them as if I was talking to my pet dog. See, in any form of communication, there are two things that we must understand before our mouths even open, and it's this. Who am I talking to? Who am I talking to? And in context of this person, who am I? Who am I? If I'm a, if I'm a student and I'm talking to my teacher, I must recognize that my teacher is more learned and wiser than I. And because of that, I have, to, I have to purposely take a position of humility and learning. If I'm talking to my son's under 10 soccer team, you know, they're young, they're simple. They don't need to hear the complexities of why sport in modern day is still... That's not the fan. Is that the fan? Did we not turn the fan off? We did turn the fan off. It's passive. Sounds pretty active. <laughs> All right. You're going to have to cut that bit out of the podcast now. That's more work for you. I'm not going to talk to my, year, uh, my 10-year-old son's soccer team and explain why the, the world of sport is corrupt. I'm just going to tell them, run and kick the ball as hard as you can. Right? Why? Because I know who they are. And in their context, I know who I am. And it's the same thing with God. When we pray, when we pray, before we even say a word, right? Okay, the foundation is set, right? Faith, belief. We believe that God exists, right? When we pray, the first thing that we must understand is we must ask the question, who is God to you? To you, who is God? And in the context of who God is, who am I? Who am I? Last week we talked about, is God even real to you? And if you can get past this foundation, we've got to work out who God is to us. And in His context, who are we? Jesus, when teaching us how to pray, starts off with this famous line, Matthew 6, 9. This is our passage for tonight. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I remember as a young uh, child in the church learning the Lord's Prayer, I always thought it was our Father who art in heaven, Hello. Be your name. And I thought it was just the introduction to our prayer. It's like, hello, God. You know? But this, but this word, 
hallowed. And I'll get to the meaning of it, but, but, but how Jesus tells us to pray, our Father in heaven. Our <laughs> God. We, we're addressing God. And as Jesus teaches us how to pray, the first phrase, our Father in heaven, is where we start. God is our heavenly Father. And the word Father means not only a position of authority, or provision, or safety, but it means ultimately relationship. Our Father in heaven, when we, when we start off our prayer, what we're declaring of who God is, is that He is our Father. He is someone that we are in relationship with. He, he, he's, he's, you know, when we pray to God who desires relationship with us, when we speak, they're not just mindless words or religious words. When we pray, we communicate to not an idea or a philosophy, but to a living Father who we have relationship with. See, that's the first thing we need to understand about who God is. God is real, and He wants relationship. Secondly, we, if, if God is our Father, then we are His children. And as children, it means that we just get to be kids. I know for some of us, you know, we're... we're there's young kids in this room and there's older kids in this room. But if God is our Father and if we're addressing our Father, it also means that we get to just be a kid. You know, that's one of the things that I, I personally struggle with in my own family right now is, is as the kids get older, I expect more from them. I expect them to clean up. I expect, I expect them to, you know, do the dishes or, you know, and, and as they get older, the response will become more and more. And, and I forget I just forget sometimes that they're still just kids. See, that's the beauty of being a kid. You just get to do, you just get to be a kid. You know, it'd be weird if my 10-year-old son came up to me and go, oh, Heavenly Father. Oh, that, that would be weird to start off with, right? You know, it's like, I have cleaned thy room. What else would you like for me to do in your service? You know, like, if he started talking not like a kid, that'd be weird, right? But that's the thing. In our relationship with God, we need to understand that if He is God, our Father, then we just get to be kids, meaning that we just get to be who we are. You know, we just get to be who we are. Prayer is not a formulated method of communication, but is a free form of relationship. Hallowed be your name. If, if God is Heavenly Father and I am child, then the words that come out of my mouth must represent this. And here we go. The word hallowed is defined as sanctified or consecrated. To hallow something is to make or set apart as holy. To respect or honor greatly. We use the word hallowed to refer to someone who we treat with respect awe and reverence. It is the highest form of reverence and respect. And if we would ask ourselves, who is the most respected person in your life? Who is someone that you look up to beyond, right? And, you, you know, people would say, oh, I don't know, the queen. You know, like if the queen of England walked through these doors, right, we're not going to sit around and go, hey, Liz, that's her name, Elizabeth. 
Everyone's like, why are you called Liz? You know, we're not going to like, you know, the welcoming team go, hey, welcome to church, Liz. He, 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 you know, he's a newcomer's form. No, if the queen was to walk in here, everyone would take a step back. And I, I, I promise you, you wouldn't know what to do. Because who, of who she is, she demands that, 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 that reverence and that respect. And if it's like that with, say, the queen, or say, whoever is the highest position in your life, how much more so our God? How much more so do we need to understand that He, His name is hallowed? And, and I love how it says, hallowed be your name. See, uh, what's in a name, right? You know, for us these days, uh, a name is just a form of identification. Rosa. You know, you, you just yell out Rosa, and it's like, well, whoever's name is Rosa, that's who we're talking to. Or Albert. You know, it's just a form of identification. But back in the day, and, 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 and this goes back generations, but, but a name had a lot more to do with not just your identification, but your character. Your character, you know, that's why actually even now the Jewish people, whoo, someone's getting fired tonight. So no one's even employed in our church, but someone's getting fired. Is it me? <laughs> You're fired. That's an unofficial warning, Steve. Get it together. In the Jewish culture, there are, there are something like 22 versions of the name God. But actually, the Jewish people would not use certain names of God. And that was because they did not want to dare even say the name of God because His name was so hallowed. It was so holy. It was so consecrated. They didn't want to bring any disrespect to it. See, when we know who we are talking to, and, and who we are in context of that person, the words that come out of our mouth will represent this. See, when we pray and we understand that God is almighty, God is all-powerful, God, the creator of the heavens and earth, God, the giver and the, and, and the giver of the breath of life, when we understand that this is the God that we're speaking to, the first things that come out of our mouth must be this acknowledgement of who God is. And that He is God Almighty and that we are not. He is God. <laughs> it sounds like the creepy seesaw, right? Right? Oh, now one of the babies is crying. Look at that. Look what you've done, Steve. You know, I was thinking about this idea of prayer, right? And so many times when we think prayer, we think, what can I get? Or I'm in trouble, right? You know, when you have a conversation with someone, right? What we call that is an agenda. You know, if you go to talk to someone, you have an agenda of what you want or what you can get out of that person, right? But in a healthy conversation, it's not because you want something out of that person. It's just because you want to communicate with that person, right? But how many times do we make prayer? How many times do we go to God with an agenda? And even as we were worshiping, I was thinking in my mind, what if prayer wasn't about us? 
Think about the conversation, right? Think about who God is. And then in God's magnificent presence, who we are, right? Big God, little us, right? You really think that prayer is about us? What if we were to start to acknowledge this relationship? And I said, when we start to recognize that God is God and that we are not, then the words that come out of our mouth start off with that acknowledgement. And this is called adoration. Right? Adoration. The word adoration means to worship, glorify, exalt. When we adore something, we take it. Right? Think about when you adore something. You take it and you, you lift up its value and worth. You treasure it. You adore it. It becomes more precious to you. And so when we adore God in the same way, when we pray and we, we adore God, what we're doing is we're lifting Him up. We're, we're treasuring Him. We're taking His worth and exalting it. Adoration is the highest form of worship. We lift God up to where He belongs. And we make Him the greatest treasure in our lives. See, as I said, this series, we, we, we started off with faith last week. And today we're, we're talking about the prayer of adoration. And then we're going to talk about the prayer of confession, the prayer of thanksgiving, and the prayer of supplication. But this idea of the prayer of adoration is when we communicate with God. As I said, it's not because you're going to impress God. It's just an acknowledgement of the conversation. It's just an acknowledgement of saying, okay, God, you are God, and me, I'm not God, and I'm pretty pleased to be in the presence of God. It's just an acknowledgement. But the first form of, of prayer that we must understand is that we need to adore Him. 1 Chronicles 29, 10-22 is a prayer that David prays on behalf of the Israelite people as they prepared to build the temple of God. People started donating big towards the temple, the building of the temple, and David prays on behalf of them. And as I read this out, listen Listen to the prayer. Listen to David's prayer and listen to it in the context of the relationship between God and man. And David will pray one of the most important prayers. And what comes out of his mouth is very interesting because it's not, God, I need this. Or God, I'm in trouble, help me. Or God, wouldn't it be nice if the sun was out more? You know, the things that we pray about. Okay, listen to what David prays and listen to what God reveals about himself through this prayer. 1 Corinthians 29, 10 to 22. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. 
Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willing your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in our hearts of your people forever. Keep them I keep their hearts loyal to you and give my son Solomon a wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and do and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and the king. I don't have time to, to break down this prayer, but David's prayer is not, look, God, look at all this money we got. How awesome is that? You know, in this prayer, David paints a picture of the almighty greatness of God. He adores God. He exalts God. That's what he's doing. That's what we're hearing in this prayer. See, adoration can be expressed in two ways, and I want to quickly show you this. It can be done inwardly, okay, from our hearts. It can be an intense admiration, reverence, worship, our thoughts and our words, who God is and how amazing He is, what He has done and what He is able to do, how awesome He is. And that starts, adoration doesn't start with words. Adoration starts with your heart and your thoughts. It's just the way that you think about God. It's just about the way that that you view God in your relationship, even before you communicate. Because what you communicate, the words words are just the things that come out of our mouths of what what represents our heart and and our minds. Adoration, inward adoration starts with our thoughts and our minds of who God is to us. And the second way that we can express our adoration for God is an outwardly way of act and action. In the Old Testament, there are numerous ways that the people used uh, to show their adoration to God. And it wasn't just in what they said in their prayers, but it was actually in the way that they prayed. Okay? It wasn't just in the words. And, And that's the thing. The words are a representation of our thoughts and our heart. But also, we can show adoration to God in the posture of our prayer. There are five ways in, in the Old Testament that are shown. I just want to quickly show you this, okay? In the way that 
they prayed. Not what they said, but in the actual way that they prayed. Number one, prostration. And, and that's to lie down, lie face down before God. Numbers 26, then Moses and Aaron came uh, from, uh, in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them. They lied down before. They could not even look at the presence of God. That was how much they respected and revered God. How dare. How dare we even lift our eyes. Secondly, we see the, the posture of prayer of kneeling. Daniel 6.10, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem three times a day. He got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. The reason why I want to show you this is, number one, especially if you're newer to church, especially if you're new to church, you might get a little freaked out on why people are like raising their hands or kneeling or, I don't know, if, if someone on the stage started, you know, prostrating themselves during worship, okay, that'd be a little bit weird, right? You know, but, but this is why we do it. It's because we are showing God. We are adoring Him, not just with the words and the thoughts, but with the way that we, we respond to Him. Thirdly, standing. 2 Chronicles 6, 3, while the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king, the king turned around and blessed them. You know, um, in court, right? You know, we got a few lawyers or people involved in the legal system. You know, when the judge walks into the courtroom, what must you do? You must stand. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how, whether you know the judge or not. When the judge walks in, everyone in the courtroom stands. Okay? I don't know about uh, some of the other cultures, but in Korean culture, right, if a senior or an elder, or an elderly person comes into your house and comes into, say, the dining table, and you're sitting there and talking, what do you do? You stand. I remember our church denomination meetings were a little bit like this. It was a bit like the mafia. Like the big boss would walk in, and all the plebs, that was us, we'd all stand, you know, and, you know, we'd pay our respects, right? Because standing is a sign of reverence. It's a sign of respect. You know, even at work, right? If you're working and your manager or someone that is senior comes to your table, right, and shakes your hand, what do you do? You stand. And it's a sign of adoration to who that person is. Fourthly, lifted hands. Psalm 134, praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Lift up your hands. Lifting up our hands is, is a sign of surrender to say, you know what, God, everything that I have in my heart, I want to give to you. It's also a sign that, to say that, Lord, you need to provide for me. I, I have nothing. Provide for me. But with all, within all of that, it's a posture of adoration. That's why when we sing, that's why we lift our hands. It's not, you know, it's not like one of these, you know. Like that's a different kind of, you know, like party, right? But but when we lift our hands in, in, in worship or in prayer, what we're doing is we're, we're saying, God, you, you are, you are who you are. And finally, bowing. Uh, Korean culture anyway, we'd understand this, right? Yeah, Psalm 5, 7, but I, by your great love, can come into your house in reverence. I bow down toward your holy temple. You know, for, for Koreans, when we meet someone new, when we, when we meet someone elderly, what, our natural response is to bow. You know, you, 
you know, and depending on who that person is, depends on how low you bow. You know, like, you know, like, if, you know, I remember when I was in high school, uh, I was in the shopping center after a sports game with all my sports team. I remember I saw my friend's mom, and the automatic response was to stand and to bow and to say hello, hello, you know. And my non-Korean uh, friends were like, what are you doing? You know, like, they, didn't, they didn't understand because it's not cultural, right? But even in the Bible, culturally, when, when there's someone that is there to be respected, we, we bow. See, each of these ways are a physical expression of our adoration, of saying, you are exalted. You are greater than who I am. See, this is the beauty of prayer. There's no set way. It's not like, you know, after this, I'm going to ask you to pray, prostrating yourself on the floor, or for us to stand on the chairs, lift our, our, he- our hands, and, and bow all at the same time. You know, that's, that'd be hard. You know, that, that's the thing. It starts with the attitude and the heart of, do you, do you really believe God is who He says He is? Do you really, when, we, when we're about to speak to God in prayer, do you really, do you really believe that He's the creator of the heaven and the earth? Do you really believe that this is the God that, that, that created the, the moon and the stars? I, um, there was a, a famous Korean drama uh, years ago called Stair- Stairway to Heaven. Stairway to Heaven, right? I don't even remember what the Korean... Huh? That's it. Stairway, that's direct translation. Good job. And the, the famous song, Quaggies, you know this. The famous song is this song. In, in Korean, it's called Pogoshipta, which in English means I want to see you. But that doesn't sound as cool as Pogoshipta. Anyway, I, I was with a friend who was tutoring. <laughs> check this, right? I was with a friend that tutored a girl whose dad wrote that song. And I was like, well, can I have your, can, can you get her autograph? She didn't even write the song, right? I was like, whoa. It was like, whoa. That was kind of like my claim to fame for a few years. Hey, I know the girl's dad who wrote the song for this drama. It's amazing, right? See, what we treasure and what we value, and let me, let, me, let me put it out there, right? What we choose to adore, what you choose to adore changes the way we communicate. See, your view of God, not just God is real. You know, not just God is alive, so therefore we can pray. But what you believe about God will ultimately determine the words, the thoughts, uh, the thoughts and the, the emotions that begin our prayer. You know, sometimes we're so forget, uh, so quick to forget this element of prayer. How many of us, when we pray, right? And let's be tr- let's be real, dear God, I'm in trouble. I need this. I'm not happy. Make this happen. I want this. That's what it sounds like, right? We forget to acknowledge who we are in conversation with. But when we take a moment 
to pause and realize that prayer is speaking with God. Like God. Like not even the Prime Minister of Australia. Not even the President of the United States. Not even the CEO of Facebook or Google. But you are speaking to God. Then we've got to take a moment to acknowledge that relationship. That's what adoration is. We take a moment to just stop and realize that we're about to speak to the creator of the universe, the giver and the sustainer of life. And our prayers must reflect this, whether it be in our words, thoughts, emotions, and our posture. One of the greatest lessons that I received about prayer, especially the prayer of adoration, and it was a simple challenge. When you pray a prayer of adoration, don't ask for anything. And at the beginning, that was really hard. Because for most of us, when we pray, we're asking Him for something. We're asking God. We're demanding God for something. But when we pray a prayer of adoration, don't ask for something. And I promise you, your prayers sound different. Don't ask for anything. Just tell him who he is. Just tell God who he is. Don't make the prayer about you. And I think that's the biggest issue. We're so selfish that even when we pray, even in our relationship with God, in our communication, we're trying to make it about me. But when we can recognize and acknowledge who God is first, and who we are second, then it doesn't become about God can I have or God can you do, but it becomes God you are amazing. You are magnificent. But this all comes back to this idea of who you believe God to be. Remember what I said, right? When we pray, God reveals something to us. When we pray a prayer of faith, God reveals to us that He is real. He is real. When we pray a prayer of adoration, what God reveals to us is not that He just exists, but who He is. Who He is. He is God. And when we can recognize that, then our prayers will change. Our attitude will change. I pray that as we start to understand this, as we start to understand that prayer is not just a, a vending machine where you go when you're hungry, or it's not a hospital where you go when you're sick, but it's a relationship with the true and living God. It's a form of communication with the true and living God. When we recognize this, I promise you, the words that come out of your mouth will change. The posture of our, 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 our prayer will change. I pray that as we understand this more and more, and as we spend time maybe asking less from God and understanding more of God and acknowledging who God is, that God will reveal to us more and more of His grandeur and His splendor and His plans and His provision for us. 
And that we could get to a place where every single one of our prayers, when we go to pray to God, that the first line of our prayers would be, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Let's pray.